Hello, my name is Alan Knapp, and I'm an editor for Functional Ecology. And today I'm visiting with Susan Schwinning from Texas State University in San Marcos, Texas. Susan is a lead author on a paper titled Plant Competition, Temporal Niches, and Implications for Productivity and Adaptability to Climate Change in Water-Limited Environments. This paper appears in a special feature on mechanisms of plant competition in functional ecology. Susan, first, congratulations on the paper, and second, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Alan, and thanks for the invitation. You're certainly welcome. So as, you, as you're aware, these podcasts are just an opportunity for us to expand a bit and elaborate on papers published in functional ecology. So in order to do that, let, let's begin with you providing us some background on your interests in water limitations of plant growth and productivity, in particular, the unique role that temporal dynamics of water availability, the pulse nature of this resource, plays in arid and semi-arid ecosystems. Yes, sure. So I think what has always interested me in water in relation to plants is that it's such a fundamental regulator of plant function. And another aspect is, of course, what you mentioned, that um, due to its unique way of renewal and precipitation uh, events, it is also fundamentally variable and, to an extent, unpredictable in environments. And that is essentially true for any terrestrial environment. So what's special about arid and semi-arid systems is just that the variation is much more extreme. So plants in these environments go through periods where water is very highly available, available, and then other times water becomes very scarce. And so the plants in these environments must somehow maneuver through these extreme variability and devise methods of coping uh, with this. So and every plant does it in a slightly, sometimes very different way, and that sort of forms the basis of um, getting temporal niche dynamics that is the focus of our paper. Great. So I found your paper very interesting. It focuses, focuses on, on both the recruitment phase of plants, which isn't often done, um, and pl plant functional types, as, as well as interactions among um, mature adult plants. And you provide two really nice case studies, I think, to make your points. So let's begin with the case study uh, in savannas, where there's been this long-standing interest in tree-grass coexistence. Can you review what your key points are and your conclusions that you made from this particular case study? Sure. So the savanna ecosystem has given ecologists some really difficult questions for a long time, and some have called it, therefore, a savanna conundrum. And one of the basic disagreements or uncertainties is surrounding whether the abundance of trees and grasses in these systems is controlled by what juveniles do, in other words, by limitations of recruitment, or is it controlled by the resource use of adults, implying some limitations through productivity. And so precipitation affects both of these um, um, processes in very important ways, but not necessarily in the same way. So if a certain um, precipitation pattern favors the um, productivity of trees, it is not clear if it also you know, favors uh, recruitment in the same way. Mm. And so that creates uncertainty. So let me give you two examples of some leading theories of tree grass coexistence. So there are those theories that focus on the adult stages, and they, in one way or another, all assume that there's some kind of resource use complementarity between trees and grasses. And the result is that neither can really outcompete the other, and so therefore both can coexist. But then there's another set of theories which says that um, really, in a way, they say that what the adults doesn't matter very much, but what matters is the manner of their recruitment, the fact that um, 
trees cannot recruit in all years. They re uh, recruit, uh, you know, rarely. And mm -hmm. in between the uh, recruitment phases for the trees, the grasses then have uh, opportunities to spread out. So again, you, um, you sort of predict the coexistence of trees and grasses, but through very different processes. Mm. And the interesting question here is, well, uh, which, which one is the right process, and in which way does, do climate patterns affect these processes? And is it possible that we can come to different um, predictions about the future of these ecosystems under climate change, for example, um, based on these two theories? Mm. So it's important so to Yes, yeah. yeah, so in the second study, um, you moved to tropical dry forest, another case study which I found interesting. And here you focus a bit more on functional redundancy. Um, can you elaborate what you can take away by looking at this system? Yeah, it's a, kind of, it's a different kind of conundrum again, but it's another important conundrum in ecology that asks how can species that are really very similar in most ways coexist? So especially in biodiversity hotspots, you have groups of species that are alike in almost all ways. They have the same morphology, they're active at the same time, make the same sort of fruits, and so they have the same sort of interactions with other animals and, and plants in the ecosystem. We call such species functionally redundant, implying that, uh, that they can sort of replace one another in most ecosystem roles should one of them fail. And oftentimes it's not a surprise that these species should be there because they're also very highly related. So the question is, how can these very highly related and functional redundant species coexist? Now my collaborator on the paper, Colleen Kelly, has produced what I think is one of the most compelling data sets to suggest that these species coexist because they have different recruitment requirements. So if, uh, what she did had a data set where she looked at the most closely related species in the forest, then analyzed the age structure and saw that they tended to recruit in alternating waves. So if one mm. had a good recruitment year, the other one had a bad one and vice versa. And so this case example allows us to bring phylogeny into the discussion, not just to ask, you know, why can these species coexist, but also why are they there to begin with? And so we, in the paper, we discuss a, a scenario of sympatric speciation that basically comes to the conclusion that when you have an adaptive radiation, and that might be typically an adaptive radiation having to do with a shift in climate or, you know, being triggered by a shift in climate, mm -hmm. what you end up is um, uh, with a broadening of the recruitment niche of these plant lineages or functional types. So in plain text, instead of having just one species with limited recruitment opportunities, because of, <clears throat> sorry, because of trade-offs that happen in the seedling stage, you now have a group of species that as adults can take on very similar roles in the forest, uh, but as a group together have much wider um, recruitment opportunities. So you mm. can see how this has um, potentially important implications for climate change adaptation. And it suggests that plant functional types that have a high degree of redundancy then a better chance to, um, uh, to maintain uh, the functional role in the forest than uh, a plant functional type uh, for which there's maybe only one species. Hmm. 
So I, I like your conclusion in your paper. You basically point out what, what, as you just mentioned, what is pretty much an unresolved question. That is, you know, the extent to which community composition in these systems is governed by the juvenile phase or by the adult phase. And um, I was wondering, is this a question that you think is primarily limited to, to water-limited systems, or is this a broader question that's important to most ecosystem types? Yeah, I have a feeling that's a bit of a leading question there. So we definitely <laughs> think it's, it's of broader applicability, uh, and it's a general problem, and not just in ecology and also in evolution and other sciences. And it's, it's general because I think no biome on Earth can really escape the fact that precipitation comes in pulses, or creates pulses of soil moisture and is variable and unpredictable. So even the place where I grew up in northern Germany, there are things that people call drought, even though that's uh, drought uh, slightly different from what we have experienced here in the U.S. in previous years. But the effects on plants are not all that different because plants there, of course, have different thresholds for feeling drought stress. So, yes, we think that temporal niches are really important for just about any terrestrial um, biome, and they, they have been a bit overlooked, we feel, in, in ecology, and in part that is because they're very difficult to track, because the kinds of uh, events that might uh, discriminate between different species might come along rarely, maybe once, once every 10 years or so, and then they happen very quickly too, for example, if we're talking recruitment niches, how long does it take for a seed to germinate or a seedling to die, maybe just a few year, a few days. And so it's difficult to observe. Well, Susan, thanks very much. I, I, I must admit I agree completely with you with regard to the importance of, of this question with regard to climate change, given that we have a hard time understanding these things under today's climate and trying to project in the future is certainly going to be a challenge for us. So um, thanks very much for visiting with me, and thanks for your nice paper, and best of luck in your research. Thank you very much, Alan.